0: welcome to tape to tape powered by the new ram 1500 sport build exclusively for canadians i'm ryan dixon i'm a writer at sportsnet.ca joining me as always on the other line Sportsnet's nhl editor rory boylan rory what's up well
1: what's up is i think we got some labor piece which is i mean incredible news shocking news it's been a while since we've had one of these without some kind of a stoppage so that's that's huge news pending a a player vote but i would be shocked if they turn that down and that puts us on track to get back to hockey and uh you know all good the weather's nice here today too um so that's always a good thing as well and we're ready we're ready for some summer hockey it's going to be a weird one this year
0: well we're going to talk about return to play and uh cba extensions hub cities playoff previews with Mark Spector, Sportsnet's Edmonton correspondent. He'll be on the ground in one of the two hub cities. We're also going to talk about just what we're excited about when uh, this thing kicks off as it's starting to feel a little more real. NHL camp's now, in theory, days away from opening up. But let's bring in Mr. Spector right now so we can kick off this conversation about
2: uh, the news of the last little while. Mark, how are you doing today? Very well boys. It's, uh, we're just getting, I feel like it's, it's the labor day long weekend. And when it's over, I'm going to have to go to work for like eight months and start covering (laughs) real serious hockey every single day. Uh, it feels like that. It's like when these camps open, uh, on the Monday, uh, here we go. And it's going to go for a good two and a half months, isn't it?
0: Yeah, we will definitely be off and running hopefully. And, uh, it'll be a bit of a frenetic pace. We're going to get there, but Spec, I got to start with the extension on the CBA because it almost feels like we're bearing the lead to not start with labor peace. I mean, you have covered, if I have this right, in your career, three lockouts and a strike dating back to the early 90s. <laughs> uh, what did it signal to you to see this extension through 25, 26? And as someone who's been there on the front lines of the labor wars, um, I mean, this has got to be one of the best things that could have come out of this whole uh, largely painful ordeal.
2: Yeah, this is the proverbial gold bar buried under a pile of uh, manure, right? Uh, when I heard and when it became clear that there was really no way to, there were so many tweaks, guys, they had to make in the CBA to get started up again after this pause. And there's you know, so many things they had to dig in on. It really became clear they had to just redo the whole CBA and when i when i first heard that i thought oh great right they're never going to play because we know what happens when the nhlpa and the nhl start digging in in the cba it always takes you know roughly 4 to 10 times longer than they thought it would take so the fact that they've they've come to labor peace in in sight of this window they're they're going to get to play you're right i think the lead is labor peace over the playing and, and the things that come with it here, like A, four years of labor peace, that's just awesome. Uh, two Olympic games, like they're, they're telling us they're going to the Olympics. We're going to get to see McDavid and Crosby playing the Olympics together, you know. Uh, all of the things that they got done in this short period of time, it, it amazes me. Because as you point out, my experience covering lockouts is that if they say it's going to take a month, it's, it's probably going to take six months. Uh, they did it inside this window, and I'll take my hat off to them.
1: The the salary cap financial implications that come out of this is going to be fascinating because the cap is expected to stay flat for those first couple of years, and then maybe some small growth after that. So there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be feeling that pinch uh, at least at first and maybe for a long while here. I don't think Edmonton is necessarily one of those that is going to be – like, like Toronto is going to be feeling it really bad and Tampa Bay, but Edmonton has a little bit more room. But with that said, but be- before this CBA, it was kind of this question of whether or not Ryan Nugent Hopkins was going to be able to re-sign after next season, coming off a $6 million deal, found a really nice place in that Oilers lineup. Do you think with these new conditions that it's going to make it easier to sign Nugent Hopkins considering there's going to be a lot of other teams that are going to have cap issues. Is it going to be easier for the Oilers to sign Nugent Hopkins now than it was prior to the CBA working out?
2: Um, excellent question. I guess it depends. to me, there's going to be two things here. There are, there, there's always going to be teams with a bunch of cap space, right? For sure there is. But there's a reason that teams like, you know, I don't know, Arizona, like Florida have all this cap space because they don't like spending, they, they don't have the money to spend So they're always going to have cap space. It doesn't mean they're suddenly going to become uh, teams that spend to the cap and and can look at Ryan Nugent Hopkins and say, hey, we got lots of money for you. Come play for us. Generally, the teams that will be able to afford Ryan Nugent Hopkins will be teams that aren't very good. So you're looking at a guy, he's the longest serving Edmonton Order, right? He has made the playoffs once in his career. He's finally on a team here that looks like it's not a bad team. And it's probably going to get better and better and better with McDavid and Dry Settle and some things they have. So I guess the, the short story here is this. If Ryan Newton Hopkins decides, I got to go somewhere and make more money, there will be a somewhere out there. But I don't think there's going to be a team as good as Edmonton that gives him a chance to maybe win and a significant pay raise out there in the horizon, guys. I think like every free agent, he's going to have to say, man, I wish I'd have been a free agent three years ago, but I'll just take the best I can get. And I'll take a shorter-term deal and hope the economy gets better in the meantime.
0: I wondered a little bit about that, whether, I mean, there was some notion out there. I wrote a little bit about this last fall that you might see NHL players, smart, young NHL players were already kind of looking um at the shorter deal coming off their entry-level deal. No, that's not the case for Nugent Hopkins. But, you know, basically, at that time, banking on there being more money in the system um, because of US TV contract. I mean, right. that was before this all happened. Um, but, yeah, I do kind of wonder if we will see a little bit of that, like you said, Spec, where you say, hey, I'm not going to... i uh, there's no, I mean, there's obviously some benefit, but signing the eight year deal right now might not make sense. I wonder if we will see guys say, let me sign a three year deal so I can hit the market again when I'm 29 and still in my prime.
2: That's exactly what the agents will tell their players for sure. And remember, yep. too, that the escrow in the next few years is going to be uh, foreboding. You know, mm-hmm. you want not to earn all your money over the next few years. I think what you might even see is some guys pushing back signing bonus money. Um, into five years from now, even, you know, some of the longer term contracts that, that are out there. So, yeah, I think everything you just said there is going to hold true. Uh, it's a bad time to be a free agent. So, that means it's a bad time to sign a six or seven year deal. And I think you'll see a lot of real good players, uh, sign, you know, UFAs who normally would be going for the six year home run, they're going to be settling for two, three years, no question.
1: And that comes with risk, right? Like we're talking like the two biggest guys who are going to be free agents this offseason were Alex Petrangelo and, and Taylor Hall. And prior to this, we're banking on them getting seven or eight year deals with a ton of money. And now we're talking maybe they should get two or th- search for two or three years and then hope for another payout. But you're risking that, you know, maybe you get injured or maybe your play falls off or something. And by the time that deal runs out, you're you're no longer in a position to get that. And maybe you're throwing money away. And so, you know, what, what do you bet on here? What, what is too much of a risk for these guys? <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how, especially those higher-end guys, but then also the trickle-down effect that's going to have on how much money teams spend on, you know, middle of the roster players who would have been three, four million dollar guys before that are going to feel that, that pinch. It, it might be them who feel it more than the star players.
2: Oh, and, and you know, Young, good young players, like players coming out of an entry-level deal that might get locked up for a while here, like in a normal economy. I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm in Edmonton. How about Ethan Baer? You know, Hmm. he's going to be a good defenseman for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And he's coming out of his entry-level deal. He doesn't have arbitration rights. He's really got no bargaining position whatsoever. And... In a normal world, the others may throw out an olive branch to say, "Hey, we'll sign you to a longer-term deal because we can see you're going to play for a long time for us." Not now, you know. They have no money to spend. He's going to sign a very short-term deal, and there there will be very little bargaining going on here. Um, guys are got to take less. There's less money in the system, gentlemen. That's all there is to it. There's less money in the system. Uh, teams with a bunch of long-term guys making big money, like you know the top-end Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, try being a fourth, third line guy, a third period defenseman on that team and getting a big raise. The money's just not there for you.
0: So we, as we record this, we are assuming, hoping that everything will become official return to play the CBA extension this week. And that as noted by Monday, um, guys like you will be back covering NHL training camps or some version of training camp. I mean, I, I know you don't really know all the answers yet, Spec, but take us behind the curtain. Give our listeners a, a little, you know, inside baseball chatter here. Like, what do you think this is going to look like for you reporting on covering a team in this new reality?
2: Well, during training camp, uh, the teams will be running their training camps, whereas the National Hockey League will be running, obviously, the back-to-play. For our listeners out there, like in a normal playoffs, you know, the Leafs, let's say, let's talk about the Leafs, their PR staff will sort of, they'll run and the Leafs organization and whoever they're playing, um, let's say Leafs and Columbus, They would normally run the first round series and they would accredit media and they would decide about interviews and they would, you know, the whole media process would be decided by the two team PR staffs, same in the second round. And then in the third round, the NHL comes in and they do everything as the league wants it done. And it's different. They step it up and they do things differently, the league office in New York. This year, the league's walking in for the qualifying round and they're running everything. So... What it's going to mean is, let's talk, the training camp is going to be training camp, limited attendance, lots of Zoom calls. I have stood in front of my last player at a morning skate and chewed the fat for the last time. It will not happen between now and the end of this season. Um, when the thing starts, when the qualifying round starts, they will, certainly here in Edmonton, they will allow media into the building. will be sitting somewhere in the upper bowl of the arena. We will then be marshaled straight back out of the seats after the game. They will have a writing area for us where we will then begin to conduct Zoom calls. So the players will stay in the bottom half of the stadium. We will stay in the top half of the stadium. There won't be much press because the league has made it clear you can. You, there's really very little advantage in attending. The only advantage is you get to watch your team play live. You don't get live interviews. Everything can be attained from your home office that you're going to get in terms of quotes from being on site in Edmonton or Toronto. So that'll knock the media, you know, horde down and we're going to be doing zoom calls guys. And that's just the new reality of covering sports in a pandemic.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, so many factors are going to make this Stanley cup playoffs much different. And I mean, obviously the layoff, everybody, most guys who were injured at the pause are now going to be back healthy. You're not going to be facing those kind of same banged up situations as you would in a normal season where the playoffs follow the regular season right away. So, I mean, I think we can agree that at looking at Edmonton's qualifying round matchup against Chicago, they'll they'll be pretty heavy favorites. Edmonton's a strong offensive team. Chicago cannot defend. But with, with kind of, you know, this layoff, it's possible that, you know, a goalie comes back cold or the chemistry is just not there. So when you settle in to start watching training camps or maybe that, that first game after the hub, what will you be looking for from these Oilers that will give you an indication that, okay, they're, they're right back where they were or, you know, something's not quite right here?
2: For me, it's, it's goaltending, right? I like the Oilers. The Oilers are okay up front. You know, they got Conor McDavid and Leon Drysal. They got two two strong lines in their top six. They got a pretty good, you know, the bottom six is okay. They're missing the third line center. They don't really have one. They can figure all that stuff out. They got eight NHL defensemen here. Uh, I'm not saying they have a Drew Dowdy. They don't, but they got eight NHL defensemen. They'll be fine there. To me, it's their goalies, right? They don't have a, they don't have a number one goalie. They got, a, they got two guys, Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen, who split the job all season. So, you know that's the oldest cliche in hockey, gentlemen. Right? Goalie tending's what seventy five percent of the game, unless they're no good. Then it's hundred percent of the game. Yeah. So I have to see at least one goalie that's back and ready to win some games here. Like I think Corey Crawford in Chicago's nets. You know he's got a track record. He's proven. He had an excellent season this year. I fully, you know, he's their guy. There's no question about who's going to play. And if he plays like Corey Crawford, the Blackhawks are going to be great in goal. I don't know. Mike Smith's 38 years old, man, and he's coming off this break. Mikko Koskinen uh, can be really good when he kind of plays half the time, but if he plays too much, he wears down quick. So for me, if you're, you could lose if you don't have goaltending. The Chicago Blackhawks will beat you. Uh, if the Oilers get goaltending, I think they're fine, but I have to see some goaltending, and I've got to see at least one guy come back here that looks like he's ready to carry the ball.
0: Is this a case of essentially there's a job to be won in this training camp then, do you think?
2: Well, I think for sure. Like, it's kind of weird, eh? The league's going towards, you know, the trend is towards 50-50 goaltending splits, right? You know, the way, the way salaries work now, the way they, the density of the schedule, uh, the realization that you want a fresh guy playing the most important position, so I get all that. And, and the Oilers were great. They, they had two goalies that really split the ball down the middle here this year. But then we get to the playoffs. And one of the oldest axioms in hockey, the traditional thinking, is that you grab a goalie and ride them in the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. which guy are you grabbing? They're a 50 50 team. They got here playing a goalie every second night. Now are you going to go in the playoffs? You're going to just play one guy? So I'm I'm interested to see how this unfolds in Edmonton. And, Maybe you can win in the playoffs with two guys. Maybe you, maybe they go two games, and the next guy goes in. Like it worked all year. Why wouldn't it work in the playoffs?
1: Yeah. So uh, I mean, I guess, I guess we'll leave it at this. Uh, spec if, if, taking us back to uh, where we were when this season paused. You know, Edmonton was the fourth best team in the Western Conference. They miss out on that on that buy for uh, uh, points percentage, just below Dallas. There. I mean where Edmonton was playing in March when we paused, what was your general outlook? Like what would you expect from this team in these playoffs? Are they Stanley cup contenders? Are they kind of fodder for that first round after the qualifying or are they, are they somewhere in between what, what what is this year's Oilers?
2: That's a good, you know, what they were, what they were to me was a team with a, a very decent chance of getting to a Western conference final. You know, I think, What they were was a team that I would have predicted to beat Calgary in the first round, because I think that was their matchup had we just played the season out. And then they would have got Vegas or Vancouver. And, you know, it would be a tough series, but they could certainly beat one of those two teams. I think they're just as good or better. And then I don't think they're good enough to beat, you know, a a Blues team that's playing the way they can play or... Or uh, even maybe if Colorado gets it going here, I think Colorado's a better team. But that's what I saw the Oilers as. What is everybody now that we've missed, you know, months of hockey and everyone's coming back fresh and there's no momentum and we carry nothing over? Well, Who knows what they are? I mean, I think they'll beat Chicago, but I'll tell you what, you know, like I said, if, they, if Corey Crawford is the first star in three of the games, Chicago's going on and Edmonton's going home.
0: All right, Spec. Well, uh, good luck on the first day of school on Monday. I hope you're excited.
2: <laughs> I'm pumped. I've got a fresh haircut, and uh, let's get out it, boys. All right. Well, we'll be talking
0: again soon once the puck drops. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark. All right, guys. There he is. That is Mark Spector, Sportsnet's Edmonton Oilers correspondent. He'll be on the ground for Oilers training camp and... Of course throughout the qualifying round and main playoffs as Edmonton operates as a hub city for the NHL's Summer of Hockey speaking of which when we come back on the other side of the break we're going to talk about what's getting us excited about 2 months of warm weather hockey stick around for that on tape to tape <laughs> Hey, welcome back to Tape to Tape. Rory, when I say warm weather hockey in Toronto, my God, I mean it. It is hot these days. (laughs) Hot, hot out there in the sun. Like I I was saying before we came on, it feels like when you're in a southern climate and like the sun, you swear to God, it's 10 feet above your head. That's what we got right now. The uh, Scotiabank place is cooking.
1: It is... It's like a sauna out there, Ryan. I was I was saying before we got here to our producer, Michael, I was kind of outside around midnight last night, and I couldn't stand out there for very no, long, but like, it's still too soupy. heavy. You've known me a long time. Like, I'm a winter person. I'm a cool weather person. I will complain about this heat because it's unbearable. I can't imagine people living in warmer climates than well, this, dealing with the, this kind of weather in the summertime because um, it's it's almost unbearable, but... Um, it, so with that as the backdrop and having hockey come back while this weather is going on is going to be just the whole thing, right? It, this whole year, it's so strange. Um, the two things coming back together, but, um, yeah, it's unbelievably hot out there, but I'm still finding time to golf. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, Gotta push be- through, right? <laughs> you better
0: get your rounds in cause things are definitely about to get oh, yeah. busy. Uh, it, it looks like. You know, it would be puck drop on August long weekend. Um, What are you most excited about as we now inch, you know, weeks away? We can start to count weeks a little bit from this expanded Stanley Cup tournament.
1: Yeah, I mean, so there's a number of, of things here, right? Like there, we could see up. I mean, we always get upsets in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but we could see some crazy things happen because the variables are, there, there, there are plenty right now. All sorts of factors could come into play here, but you know, with with that in mind, I was wondering. I wanted to pose this question to you: like, who, who do you think is Canada's best hope to win the Stanley Cup this year? And is is that realistic? Um, like, is it Toronto, Edmonton, Vancouver? Dare I say Winnipeg? Is are the Winnipeg Jets maybe the best Canadian team this year? Like, what are your thoughts on who maybe has the best odds and and what really are their chances to bring the cup back here?
0: Hmm. I mean, it's, it's pretty even, right? Like, I guess you would have to say, I mean, based on the way Connor Hellebuck was playing, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was, I think on a lot of heart trophy ballots. I mean, there is one real wild card right there for that team. Um, I mean the McDavid dry factor in Edmonton as Speck touched on is big. I don't I don't know. I would look at Edmonton, Vancouver, and Toronto maybe being a cut ahead of Winnipeg and Calgary, though, because and certainly Montreal, because I mean as good as Hella Buck's been, he's had to be just because that defense has been so unsettled. It's a little better yeah. now, a little better now, but I mean just the the blow they took. I mean, the, the forwards are great, but um, they just lost, you know, four guys on the back end. So I don't know. Like, honestly, no no one team, and especially as I'm trying to recalibrate for this bizarre circumstance, like, I mean, there's part of me that actually is inclined to say Edmonton just because it, from my, like, when all else fails, bet on McDavid. you know what I mean? When all else fails, bet on the team that has two of the best, I don't know, at least offensively, five guys in the league. That's maybe where I would come down on. I'm still trying to figure out to, you know, how is it? Who's going to have the advantage if it plays out this way? Is it going to be the young legs that are all, you know, ready to go at the drop of the hat? Or is it going to be like the veteran team that's used to being a little depleted when they get to the playoffs, but now are, you know, should in theory be more rested than, than ever. I'm not sure. And and even as we were talking to spec and he was saying, You know, obviously, in the regular season, we've seen a a huge trend towards splitting goaltending duties, especially on back-to-backs. Well, now there's no travel, so is that going to mean you are able to ride one guy? That's traditionally the method in the playoffs, anyways. But now, like, if you maybe it swings back to Winnipeg because if you have a hella buck now in the regular season, it's it's in some ways, less of an advantage because the guy's not playing all the time. Well, now Connor Hellebuck is your goalie all the time. Oh, and P.S., there's no travel. So he should be fresher. So that's an, another thing that could come into play. But I guess I would go back to that, like, who knows what's up and what's down right now? So maybe I just put my arms around McDavid and Drysidle.
1: Yeah, I, I'm. I, I keep coming back to Winnipeg as one that might be sneaky good. I wonder if it's the teams that are just... I mean, everybody's got a good coach if you're in the NHL, right? But there are some that are better than others. And I wonder if it's the better coach teams that find an advantage here to get in that mind frame, to get those systems that they want to play nailed down. And so that's why I keep coming back to Winnipeg, because you also have the great goaltending. You have a, an incredible offense, a lot of size in that lineup, too, which, which generally, traditionally lends to... playoff play, but there's somebody listening right now saying, if you're going to pick Edmonton or you're going to pick Winnipeg because they can score and they've got star power and goaltending, why aren't you picking the Toronto Maple Leafs? Because they seem to have all of those things. And and I would say, you know, Toronto's got its own kind of worries, um, inconsistencies on defense, although they're all going to be back healthy. But the other thing I wonder about them is, you know, normally at this time of year, we're worried about Leaves fans are worried about if Freddie Anderson has played too many games and maybe you, he's rested enough, but at least he's kind of getting there on a high, right? Like he's usually coming in pretty strong into the playoffs. But he always starts the season slow. His Octobers yeah. in Toronto have not been good. And so if you consider then he has not been playing for three months, and that's more or less what an off-season is, like what Freddie Anderson are we gonna see? I think that's a legitimate question. Are we gonna see end of season, mid-year playoff Freddie Anderson? Or are we going to see October Freddie Anderson? Because if it's it's the latter in a five-game series, that could quickly end it for the Maple Leafs. So there's all these factors that are just going to... It's going to be wild when it gets going.
0: I'm sure like me too. You're just excited to see what this actually looks like. You know, like, what is it going to visually be like seeing these guys play in empty rinks? I mean, I I don't know. I haven't had any conversations with my fellow sports netters about are we going to be able to do cooler things because there's nobody in the rink. I mean, in terms of camera placement and things like that, I don't I don't know. I mean, obviously, we're losing, you know, the atmosphere even on TV is a huge part of of watching sports and and we are going to, you know, presumably lose all of that. But I, I don't know what things we'll be able to, to try to make up for it. And I'm guessing there's going to be some trial and error, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if round two, you know, there might be tweaks from, from round one. So I, sure. I just, I can't wait to see like, okay, we're, you know, we're, we're relatively far into our careers. Not that, that far, but we're breaking new ground here. We've never seen this. Right. And, and nope. the curiosity is, uh, it's definitely peaked.
1: Yeah. And especially that, that play in round, that first one where you've got all those teams actually in the qualifying round, plus those top four teams that got to buy that are going to play for yes. the top four seeds. And so it looks like we're going to have between the two hub cities, six games a day with start times Eastern spread between 12 and 10 p.m. Uh, it's going to be like, like March Madness, NCAA basketball, right? It's going to be that kind of uh, frenzy, constant hockey on our televisions for the first while there. And that's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. Just the way we watch the game. And then, as you alluded to, like how it's presented on TV. I mean, there's a lot of... Those conversations are ongoing right now, how that's going to look. And can you offer different things on different channels you know maybe one with background sound another channel has no background sound or different ways that people are going to want to watch these games can you offer it different ways uh to them uh so they can choose so all of that stuff still being worked out and you know we've talked about how amazing it is that the pa and the nhl has been able to come together on organizing these hub cities figuring out a cba and all this stuff during the pandemic and, and in quite a short time, but also figuring out all those logistics about how it's going to look on TV and, and how it's going to work. All of that's being done in pretty short order too. So it goes beyond the NHL and the PA. Everybody that is putting together a plan for return of coverage and everything as well, it, it's really something to to see unfold. And, and I can't wait to see what ultimately is presented to us.
0: So there's so many unknowns here And as you touched on, the the first round of the playoffs is always crazy, uh, especially in hockey when it comes to upsets. I mean, that really is a hallmark of this game that you just never know what team might rise up. And so, yeah, you know, now we've got teams that were that are 12th in their conference by points percentage that (laughs) are suddenly in the playoffs. Oh, and by the way, they're playing a best of five, not a best. Of seven. So that sent me down the path of thinking, who are some of the worst teams, at least by regular season record, to make the final? Because we're we're looking at it thinking, you know, maybe some team could go on a crazy run. We talked about the, the Blackhawks with Spec. You know, Corey Crawford has been having a great year. Um, you know, what teams might go far? So that sent me. Uh, to take a little historical look and I'll run some of the teams down, but I got to ask you something right off the hop. Cause I didn't, I really didn't realize the depth of the suffering in Vancouver until <laughs> I started looking at the 82 Canucks who are on this list as a uh, under 500 team that made the final. And Oh, by the way, didn't even play a 500 team to get to the final because The league was pretty crazy back in the early 80s with 21 teams and the gulf between good and bad was huge coming off expansion and WHA mergers. But I looked at that Vancouver team and I was like, well, were they one of those teams that maybe could have done, made some noise years previously, but, you know, just never came together? The answer is no. How many winning seasons do you think the Vancouver Canucks had in 21 seasons between their inception in 7071 and 199091 how many times did they finish above 500
1: wow wow that's a i mean it can't be high let me guess like 3 2 two two yeah, times
0: in 21 crazy. years basically before the arrival of Pavel Bury and the ascent of you know Kirk McLean Trevor Linden and that team the 94 team that that's kind of what I was getting at was, was the 82 team like the 94 team? Cause the 94 team had really good records before, but didn't go anywhere in the playoffs. Then they were 500. They actually finished basically right on the nose, 500 that year and then went to the final. So um, yeah, answer hard no on whether the 82 Canucks were, uh, you know, coming off, uh, uh, you know, missed opportunities in '80 80 and 81. They really just rose up through a pretty pitiful Campbell Conference, but I had them on there. I mean, the Minnesota North Stars, 1991, that team just, there's got to be a book on that team somewhere because they come into the playoffs 27, 39, and 14, 425 points percentage. They beat a Blackhawks team that finishes 38 points ahead of them in round one. Then they turn around and beat a St. Louis team that finished 37 <laughs> points ahead of them. Then they pick off the Edmonton Oilers, the defending cup champions in the semifinal. And then they're up to one on Mario and the penguins before finally it all kind of comes apart. So um, who knows what we'll see this year, but there's definitely some precedent for uh, teams that you certainly wouldn't circle as contenders all of a sudden going on a run, especially back in the zanier eighties days.
1: Yeah. And I, and I, you talked about this in that piece, but I, I think some people maybe don't um, remember or realize That parody that we see now—it's a new thing. Like, yeah, it's a very, very new thing. Like, like if you if you were to just take the top eight teams in points percentage as we left them, you know, you look at in the East, that's (laughs) Toronto, and in the West, that's Calgary. I mean, would it be would it would would either of those teams qualify as one of the worst ever? If they were to get to a Stanley Cup final, I, I can't really imagine so. You know, Calgary's 36-27-7, no. and, and Toronto's 36-25-9. But if you go back to that 1982 season, I mean, that's when we saw what's known as the miracle on Manchester. The Los Angeles Kings upsetting the Edmonton Oilers uh, right before they started their, their dynastic run. They were the the Oilers were 48 points better in the standings than the Los Angeles Kings. I mean, that 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 difference is absolutely massive. I mean, that's let me just see here. That's 10 points more than the difference between Boston's total points this year and the Ottawa Senators' total points this year. Yeah. The 15th team in the Eastern Conference. So, I mean, that's that's how crazy it was. Like you had teams that were supercharged and others that weren't. And, and another team that made your list here, you know, those first three St. Louis, poor St. Louis Blues teams in the, in the expansion era where you had one conference or division that was the original six and the other division was the new six teams and they couldn't hold a candle, right? So it was three straight yeah. sweeps in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, those days are long, long gone. So normally we wouldn't get those teams nowadays that would be, oh, the worst team ever to make it. But because... 24 of the 31 teams are now in it like maybe this year's montreal canadians could qualify maybe this year's chicago blackhawks team uh could qualify although it should be said that even those teams are at least 500 by by points percentage
0: well buddy the next time we do this there'll be uh, at the very least some uh practice b-roll footage to go over maybe we can talk about line combos i don't know the <laughs> teams will be on the ice by next week though fingers crossed
1: let's hope let's
0: hope <laughs> all right well that is all we have for you this week as we ramp up toward the return of hockey very exciting very great to have mark Spector on thanks so much to mark for joining us Thanks to our producer, Michael Mayers. Thanks, as always, to my co-host, Rory Boylan. Make sure you're checking out everything on sportsnet.ca this week as we uh, work through hopefully a ratification of the CBA and return to play and uh, puck drop, of sorts, anyways, coming very, very soon. So, of course, we will be all over that, and you need to check back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape.